This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. Electric vehicles or EVs have been in the news for all the wrong reasons lately. In India, four electric scooters have caught fire in seven days. This is terrifying, especially when there is a strong push globally for e-vehicles across the world. Questions on electric vehicle safety after four e-scooters catch fire in four days. Transport Minister insists global standards being followed by Indian companies. Two incidents that have taken place on Saturday have raised some serious questions. The first one in Pune where a parked Ola e-scooter went up in flames and a second one in Vellore where a company called Okinawa's scooter um, again went up in flames and in the second case this actually led to the death of a man and his 13-year-old daughter. And just yesterday, news broke about as many as 40 electric scooters of Jitendra Electric Vehicles catching fire on Saturday in the truck that they were being transported in. Listen in. EVs loaded in a truck have caught fire in Maharashtra. The videos if the scooters in the container on uh, fire have been doing the rounds on social media. This comes at a time when the probe into recent EV fires in Ola and Okinawa scooters is underway. After a spate of incidents where EVs from brands such as Ola, Okinawa and Pure EV abruptly caught fire in different parts of the country, these companies have been at the receiving end of a lot of flack, with customers questioning everything from the safety of these vehicles and whether adequate standards were in place to ensure that the EVs that hit the road were safe to ride. While there is no denying a heavy push from the government's side to incentivize EV manufacturing, these incidents raise serious questions about what's going wrong with EV manufacturing in India. Today is Tuesday, April 12. I'm your host, Dia Riki, and you're listening to EVs and a Burning Question on the Morning Brief. Our guest, Pankaj Sharma, Managing Director and Co-Founder of Bengaluru-based nanotechnology startup Log9 Materials, and Sumanth Banerjee, Consulting Editor at AT Auto, will take the wheel on this one. So fasten your seatbelts and stay tuned. Okay, okay, I'll go easy on the auto puns and hit you with some industry-specific facts instead. So are you ready? Data suggests that EV two-wheeler sales saw a 370% jump in March. Naturally, this milestone was also because of the launch of the much-anticipated Ola e-scooter. The appeal of EVs, though, lies in them being less expensive to operate, especially with fuel prices skyrocketing now. They also require less maintenance and are more environment-friendly to boot. This is in comparison to their internal combustion engine equivalents or ICE counterparts. Now it's time to get more technical. EVs are powered by lithium-ion batteries and these batteries are also used in everything from smartphones, smartwatches, laptops and countless other consumer electronics around the world. What makes it the most popular battery type today? Well, it's pretty simple. They're generally considered to be efficient and light compared to their counterparts. 
but nothing is perfect not even lithium ion batteries because they pose a fire risk and this is exactly where things get tricky for evs so what exactly went wrong why did these evs catch fire i got suman to give us the details at the heart of it see a, a lithium ion battery can reach a thermal runaway stage only in cases of an internal or external short circuit which follows an accident where the cell the lithium ion cell inside may be deformed or it can get into that stage if it is overcharging beyond the maximum specified voltage or during rapid charging when excessive current is passed through it so these are typically the two or three conditions in which the lithium ion cell itself can get deformed now lack of proper ventilation in a badly designed product can also contribute to a rise in temperature so at the heart of this uh, is the fragile nature of lithium to high temperatures so all batteries like we know they work best when they are at room temperature but while charging or discharging the temperature is bound to go up lithium ion batteries uh, are prone to overheating and need a proper thermal management process these batteries are made of hundreds of lithium ion cells and a deformity in even one cell could trigger an unstoppable chain reaction or a domino effect like we say which can engulf all the other cells lithium ion batteries work best within a safe operating limit so how does one ensure that with a battery management system yes yes i'll pull over for a bit and explain that a battery management system or bms is basically an electronic system that is connected to all the cells in a lithium ion battery pack which constantly measures their voltage and the current flowing through it think of it like your fitness tracker which gives you updates about your heartbeat and sleep cycle and even stuff that you hope it won't track like your calories so a bms has a number of temperature sensors which provide information on temperatures at different sections of the battery pack this helps calculate parameters like charging and discharging rate battery life cycle and efficiency so are these fires a case of poor battery management i thought i'd ask pankaj to take us through this one i think it's a combination of a couple of systems not working well with each other it's difficult to isolate one component over everything else definitely a battery management system is there to manage the entire batteries ultimately the responsibility of the bms or the battery management systems to ensure that the battery health is monitored that's the theoretical side but even on the practical side these vehicles endure a lot more on indian streets so a number of factors which are very i would say unique to india there are variable temperatures the terrain is very very different and the stress and abuse on vehicles that we put as consumers in india makes us a very unique kind of a proposition exposure to high temperature on a sustained basis and without a proper thermal management system is when the battery starts to get vulnerable uh, sadly this is an area where not enough attention is paid by the industry And here I was listening to Sumanth in Chennai where the temperature has already touched 34 degrees I couldn't stop myself from asking Sumanth if I should avoid buying an EV because of the scorching heat that Chennai is famous for This is a myth it is not like electric vehicles cannot handle the heat that we have and we are still at about under 50 degrees of ambient temperature even in the worst case scenario 
an electric vehicle battery can typically digest heat up to even 100 degrees. The problem happens when it is a badly manufactured battery and there is very little thermal management. So there's no ventilation, there's no active or passive cooling. In that case, even if the ambient temperature is just about 40-45 degrees, which is very, very safe, because there is no let out of the heat which the battery is generating, it can tend to become even hotter. And when that happens, alongside the fact that you may be using some very inefficient cells, the battery packaging may not be the most efficient. That is a recipe for disaster. Uh, I should also mention that the first case that I reported of EV fire was back in September last year. September was not the time when the heat in any part of the country is so high and there were two pure EV scooters that caught fire. One week later in October, there was another Okinawa scooter that caught fire. In November, a third scooter caught fire. And in December, one more battery caught fire which led to the tragic death of one person. So even during winter, we saw that batteries catch fire. This is just down to the fact that these are bad products which are not tested and validated properly, and they are on the roads. But what exactly is this testing procedure? Is it enough? Pankaj gives us a ringside view of EV testing in India. A lot of companies rely on third-party testing data that the vendors provide to them, the one who made the cell from China. And what happens is that when somebody imports a cell, they look at the certification of how the cell will perform. Ideally, these cells, when they are tested, most of the companies, they test them under control condition, that is a temperature of 25 degrees and a C rate of let's say 0.5. That means they are charging, discharging the cell very slow and they are maintaining the ambient temperature or the cooled up environment is about 20 to 25 degrees. That is the ideal condition, but that's, a, that's not the testing protocol or not the testing report to trust on because when you put the cells in a battery, that battery is going to go in a vehicle that's going to run in India, you may end up having temperatures of 45 degree plus. And you really don't know how the cells will perform at that period of time. A lot of ambiguity and uncertainty comes when people take the certificate trust of 25 degrees, 0.5C kind of a certificate and expect that that's how the cells will perform even when I put them in you know, 45 degrees and a higher C, a higher charge discharge rate. One of the reasons we see a lot of unstability of these lithium-ion cells is because people haven't done this broad spectrum temperature and charge discharge rates studies themselves. But here's the thing, when it comes to designing and gender complexity, are EVs more complex than ICE vehicles? Yes, at a design level, an EV has far less complex moving component than an ICE engine. But on the other hand, what EV really, really demands is very deep level of engineering talent to ensure that you are able to assemble the technologies in a way that they are compatible to each other. If you attach a wrong kind of a compressor to a wrong kind of a fridge, the fridge will not perform. Similarly here, it's just not a BMS that needs to be fixed up. It's a complex electronic system. Electric vehicle is not like an inverter. It's not charging and discharging at a constant rate. Sometimes you're accelerating the vehicle. Sometimes you're pushing onto the brakes. Sometimes you have just driven the electric vehicle for, let's say, its entire range. And then when the batteries are very, very hot, you plug it directly into the charging because you want to get the next charge. And because you're asking such dynamic things from this electronic piece of equipment, you need to design this piece of electronic equipment very, very well. And hence, suddenly what seemed as a very simple problem of just get some cells, put some wires, put a VMS and plug it to a motor, 
it's only then that people start to realize that it's a complex system. And while they are solving that complexity of performance, safety hangs far behind. Oh, and before we move on, if you think that these fires are only restricted to EVs, like me, you're very mistaken. Only last week, uh, a CNG bus caught fire in Mahipalpur in New Delhi. And it was so bad that the fire spread to some of the shops and establishments around. Uh, thankfully, there were no casualties, but it was also quite dramatic. So statistically speaking, the number of EVs that catch fire as a proportion of their overall population on the road is still very minuscule. And anyway, it is way less than the number of conventional petrol, diesel or CNG vehicles that catch fire every year. Also, like I've said, the extent of damage that a conventional vehicle can cause when it catches fire is is far more than in an EV. Just imagine if you are traveling in a car and there is a some sort of a short circuit and if the fuel catches fire, then you will be charred inside the car in a matter of seconds, not minutes. So the escape mechanism in a conventional vehicle, if it goes wrong, is very limited. Whereas in an electric vehicle, there is no burst as such. It is a slow burn process. So the chances of somebody losing his life is still limited. Basically, we can't write EVs off because of these stray incidents, is what our guest said. But the companies are definitely hoping for the airbags to open up to save them from the onslaught of criticism that's coming their way post these incidents. Angry customers have taken to social media to express their displeasure. It does seem like people have gotten a lot more wary than they were before. To start off with, EVs are more costly than ICEs and have a much larger initial investment. The price difference between an electric car and a comparable ICE vehicle can go up to as high as three to four times, making EVs a less appealing alternative to the ordinary Indian buyer. And with all this news about fires and safety issues, it seems like these companies are suffering from perception issues. But here's the thing, these fires aren't peculiar to India I asked Suman to tell us how these countries dealt with these issues and what kind of regulations they have in place. Battery-related fires are not restricted to India alone, that's very clear. Uh, nor are they very exceptional. So with the rise in sale of EVs, the number of cases of fires have also risen globally uh, as we see such instances rise in India. So what has happened is like last year, we know that General Motors they expanded the recall exercise for its Bolt EV by 73,000 odd vehicles. So now they have basically recalled every Bolt that they have ever manufactured. Now you will be very intrigued to know how many Bolts actually caught fire. And there were only three. So only three Bolts caught fire. And GM ended up recalling every Bolt that they manufactured. The overall cars reported was well in excess of 100,000. It cost the company nearly $2 billion to just do that. Similarly, we have seen uh, Hyundai recall about, again, I think 80,000 plus EVs after 13 incidents of fire were reported in the Kona SUV. Now, this is also a vehicle which is available in India. And as part of that recall exercise, about 500 vehicles in India were also recalled, even though there were no cases in India. Now, these Recalls aside, what have countries done uh, to kind of uh, make their regulations more stringent? Now, one of the more prominent ones that has come to light is the UL2272. This is a US certification 
that was developed in 2018 for testing e-mobility devices, including electric scooters. Now it shot to fame globally when Singapore adopted these after a spate of fire incidents in the country. Now the testing parameters under this UL2272 are very stringent. They cover both electrical and mechanical components that take into account how resistant the batteries are against impact, extreme temperatures, water, and other factors. Any signs of short circuit and imbalance while charging that indicate a possibility of a fire, then that vehicle is deemed less than ideal and do not make the cut. So if you do not meet this standard in Singapore, then you cannot sell that vehicle in that country. Now, India's AIS 5.6, it was in a way based on this this UL2272, but it is even more stringent. The only catch here is that AIS156 is not mandatory for every manufacturer yet. So maybe that is one way to fix this, that you have a regulation that's quite stringent. Make, the, make it mandatory so that there's no loophole in the system. Don't think these incidents of fires have gone unnoticed by the government. In fact, Union Road Transport Minister Nitin Gadkari said that the four incidents of fire in two-wheeler EVs that were reported in a week were a very serious issue and said that the government has ordered a forensic investigation into each of the individual events by experts from the Centre for Fire Explosives, DRDO and IISC Bangalore. Sumanj felt that self-regulation was the way to go as too much regulation could stifle innovation. Pankaj, though, felt differently. He said that there was a need for more defined guidelines and stricter implementation. Now that all this has happened, what is the way forward for EV companies? Should there be more regulation? Here's Pankaj telling us what he thinks. I am very, very strong proponent of testing to be third-party tested and regulated by the government. The government has to come out with a guideline on what are the standards through which a battery or a cell should go through as a testing protocol. Right now, this particular uh, guideline is being framed. It's been drafted and we expect to see it sometime out in the future. The most important thing is, if there are two different companies which are commercializing lithium-ion batteries, they both should go through the same testing protocol as per a standard. It's not just testing. How do you test it? What are the variables you you check during those testings. Uh, how do you plot the graphs? How do you report the raw data? Under what temperature conditions? And again, at what discharge charge rates? And how do you extrapolate? There are a lot of nuances when it comes to testing. Just the way we have some very tightly regulated protocols that define capacity and capability of IC engine, something similar we require for uh, lithium-ion batteries. I think what's needed is teams which are building EV technology grounds up. Teams that understand cell chemistries, teams that can write its own BMS, teams that can create wire harnesses and designs and materials that also understands that in case the batteries goes unsafe, you have mechanisms in place to take care of those situations. So whether it is through different sorts of materials, second active cooling or passive cooling mechanisms in place, or just to understand that beyond this particular point, they're not going to push the cells.
Self-regulated or not, one thing is clear. EV manufacturers need to put more stringent testing in place and work on their battery technologies to ensure that more EVs don't catch fire and more mishaps don't occur. And guess what? If the Teslas and GMs of the world can get through these incidents fairly unscathed, our EV companies too can mitigate the damage of these incidents by being just a little bit more responsible, our guest said. For customers, I suppose the takeaway would be that we're surrounded by extremely risky appliances and technology that we've gotten used to in our daily lives, be it the LPG cylinders we have at home or the phones that we carry around everywhere. As Suman pointed out, we've managed to put some safety procedures in place to make sure that we use these things and mitigate the risks associated with them. We will have to make a similar push for EVs too, where we find out what needs to be done from our end while also holding manufacturers to the highest safety standards. Hopefully, this string of fires that we saw in March will be the last of the lot and we won't have to do any follow-up episodes. Remember the famous highway sign? Speed thrills but kills? Maybe our EV manufacturers need to slow down a bit and focus on getting vehicles that are road-ready and not only picture-ready. This is Dia Reiki and you're listening to EVs and a Burning Question on the Morning Brief. Thank you and have a great day. Credits for the episode? Producers Surbi Modi from ET and Sondarya Jaychandran from Avaaz. Sound editor Swati Joshi from Avaaz. Executive producer Arijit Parman. Special thanks to my colleagues Anirban Chaudhary, Nehal Chalyawala and Ratna Bhushan. All clips used in the episode belong to their respective owners. Credits mentioned in the description.